A podcast of the cinema. My name's Dave White. I'm Alonzo Duralde. We are film critics for The Wrap. Yep. And Alonzo's the reviews editor. Yes. The Wrap. And I host, co-host Many some other podcasts other as well podcasts as this one. podcasts besides this one. But, uh, but this is the one I, pod, I, I host with Dave White. I'm number three on the sight and sound poll. Who is my And husband. you are number... <laughs> 87. Yeah. yeah well, that's just the way it is. I know. I'm I blame the, the so I blame the western canon popular. <laughs> <laughs> so the sight and soundless came out today. Like this breaking as we are recording this. Yeah. Um and it's very Break, exciting. Breaking news. It's very exciting. It's very, very important. We have a new greatest film of all time. As this actually is, this part actually is as, kind of exciting. As to me. judged by the fancy people who get to vote in this poll every ten years, neither of us are those. Neither people. of us are among those people. Uh, <laughs> they have selected uh, Chantal Ackerman's Jean Dielman, uh, which is a masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like like not just a a it is a a breakthrough film of feminist cinema, but just of cinema in general. It's yeah. incredible, and it's a movie that we've talked about on this program. We've before. talked about it a, a lot. Yeah, <laughs> um, when I was doing a film and a movie over the years, you know, when I was doing a film and a movie with Daniel Thompson, we did two different episodes where we talked about Jean Dielman. There were only a couple of like classics that came up more than once. I think the only other one was Battle of Algiers. Yeah. Uh, which is also on the list somewhere. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we did an episode with uh, Wayne Wang, the filmmaker, because he had a new film out called Coming Home Again, where the kitchen scenes were very essential. And he, he said he looked at Jean Dielman to sort of look at how to film, you know, the sort of mundane, repetitive tasks of, of cooking. Um, and then we did one with uh, our friend Dre Clark uh, in conjunction with the film The Assistant. Did you ever see The Assistant? Still not seen it, no. It's interesting that it's coming up now in that we're talking about She Said later on. Yeah. But it's about a young woman working for a film company in an office in New York City for a boss who has never seen but is very much of the Harvey Weinstein school. And the film is really about the, the 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 tasks the numbing tasks and the numbing microaggressions that she endures over the course of a day yeah. the hum of the fluorescent lights it's yeah. a very Jean Dielman kind of movie also if you have seen uh, the FX limit, oh yes limited series Mrs America Mrs America with uh, Kate Blanchett as uh, Phyllis Schlafly then you should know. <laughs> That the final shot of the final episode is directly referencing Jean Dielman. There's a there's a, a reference to there's a direct reference to Jean Dielman earlier on where someone stumbles into a screening of it at the National Women's yes. Convention. Yes. But yes. then yeah, the final shot <laughs> the, of, scene, the scene where she's about to kill that guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the final shot of the entire miniseries uh, where where she is you know Schlafly is has 
her, her her dreams of political power have been taken away from her by the very men Momentarily, that she, anyway. she exactly by the yeah. very men that she'd helped to prop up and and it ends with her like making a, a methodically making an apple pie in a way that is very reminiscent yeah. of some of the more famous sequences everything, of John everything about that that shot like the color of the kitchen mm-hmm. and the her the framing a, her apron and the framing yeah it's so when it happened i was like hey 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 <laughs> hey hey, hey. <laughs> yeah so if you've never seen uh, Jean Dielman, uh, we recommend it. it. Okay, we talked before about movies that you have to turn your phone off. It's fixing to be almost a four-hour movie. Yeah, uh, it is. It is long and it is quiet and it is subtle, and so you you got to be ready for that, and you got to be undistracted. I think one of the things about uh, Jean Dielman that it that it can teach you is. And I, I, know, I know I make it sound like homework. It's not homework. It's just, it's it's mesmerizing. But if you are not used to the kind of filmmaking that, that Chantal Ackerman is, is laying down <laughs> here, it will force you to watch the screen in a new way. It's the kind of film that you you have to meet it at its pace. It's not so going to come to where you are. So many uh, slow cinema uh, filmmakers of the past like fifty years mm-hmm. have learned, I think, from from this film. Oh yeah, um, and and I know that is often a uh, a pejorative out in the world when people talk about slow cinema. They like, no, that's not what I I don't want that. You know, I don't <laughs> want to watch that. But you do. Yeah. If you care about films, then you care about all films and you care about all the different ways there are to make a film. And this is a way that demands your attention. What Alonzo just said, you'll turn off your phone. If you don't, you won't make it. Yeah. It's as simple as that. And, you know, if there happens to be a screening somewhere that you can... I say, sit I, yourself in a movie theater seat. For, I was I was lucky. That's enough, the best way. That my me my, too. my first view was that time at the at the R.I.P. the Bing Theater at yes. LACMA. Were we um, together? I think. I yeah. think we were together yeah. for that screening. I don't think it was two different nights. Uh, it is, however, screening right now on the Criterion Channel, and in fact, the Criterion Channel immediately put out a press release that like more than half of the films on the Sight and Sound Top 100 are currently streaming there. Everything from um, you know, playtime to uh, uh, in the mood for love. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's a very diverse list, and and a lot of that stuff is under the Criterion umbrella. I was surprised going through all of it uh, how many of them I've seen. There's quite a few. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's always I have some something up that to I do. don't have. I still haven't seen Daisies. I got we got to watch Daisies. Right, and we got the new Criterion Blu-ray. We do uh, yes. of Daisies, so we can we can uh, we could do an episode of Linoleum Night presents more Linoleum Night. I think we should, that, uh, which is a Patreon show, and we'll talk about that later. Um, the the uh, movies that are, were re- sorry. Go ahead. Go on. No, I say movies that were released since the last Sight and Sound poll in 2012 that leapt out at me on the list were uh, Moonlight, uh, Get Out, yeah. and there was one other one. I'm forgetting now what it was. Things. Stuff. Yeah. Anyway. Alonzo's very upset that Beau Travai 
is number seven. How dare Beautravai uh, be in the yawn. top? How dare it be in the top? Oh, 10? Parasite. Parasite was the other one. There is something wrong with all those people that <laughs> voted for Bo Travai to make it number seven on the list. Look, I know those it's right. dumb dumb heads <laughs> who don't like Bo Travai. I who do like Bo Travai. Sorry, who those dumb dumb heads who do love Bo Travai and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it belongs in the uh-huh. top ten. I, I mean, look, about, who are those people I'm anyway? More, I'm more annoyed that Vertigo still got gets more votes than Citizen Kane. But uh, I'm second. My second biggest annoyance is the persistence of the terrible Beautravai. Think about when we were first uh, a couple uh-huh. in the in the 1990s when we were youthful and fresh. Mm. Had I taken you to Beautravai and said, "This is my favorite movie." Would you have continued this relationship? <laughs> there is so much. Would it have given you a significant amount of pause about, can I spend my life with this person who loves Bo Trevi so much? I married you knowing that you love Sonic didn't come out Youth, until It didn't so. come out until 99, 2000 in the, ah, in the States anyway. So go on. It's too late. You already ensnared me. You married me what? I said I married you despite your love of Sonic Youth, so I don't think Bo Trevi would have been a deal breaker necessarily. <sighs> we have different tastes. Yeah, but I'm right. And I gave Bo Trevi a very fair shot. I went and saw it projected in 35 millimeter. You did. In a theater. You did, with me and friends. And I did not care for it. And one of the other friends complained about it too. Yes. Of course, that other friend also doesn't like Oh, Hassard Balthazar, which yes. I do dig. And that also made, that was I, at what, number 25? It's I think? in there. It's in the it's in the top 100 they got here. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've mentioned this quote before, but our dear friend, Chris, we walked out of the Arrow in Santa Monica after Beautravai, and he said, you and the movies you pick, it's this and the donkey movie. I'm never going to see anything with you again, which was a lie. He went to see things with me after that and uh, things he liked. But some of my friends and uh, at least one of my many uh, spouses uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, Come wait. again? Oh no! <laughs> I've, I've said too Did much. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> uh, yeah, there are people in my life that I truly love who don't like Claire Denise' 1998 masterpiece, Beautravai. Sorry. Yeah. Well. Sorry that you're wrong. Sorry that you you prevail with the with the leading winds rather than stand on your own. Sorry, you're so basic with your Claire Denis, Dave White. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna What are you gonna do with me? I, Nothing. I've never known. Nothing. You know what you're gonna do with me? You're gonna sit at this table. In a couple hours, you're gonna say, "Oh, thanks for making me this delicious dinner." <laughs> That's what you're going to do. Anyway, here's, I'm going to be Casey Kasem here. Here's your, your, your new 10 greatest films of all time. Oh, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to count down from the top 10. Per Sight and Sound Magazine. At number 10, Singing in the Rain. Which is right. Unassailable, one of the greatest films ever made. Yeah. Uh, At number nine, Ziga Vertov's Man with a Movie Camera. Yes. 
Number eight, Mulholland Drive, yep. which we also did a film and a movie episode about with Whitney Seibel talking mm. about that and Sunset Boulevard. Mm. Uh, number seven. Um, uh, the name of that film is Boat for Vi uh-huh, yeah. from the great Claire Denis. At number six, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. At number five, In the Mood for Love. Number four, uh, Tokyo Story. Number three, Citizen Kane. Number two, Vertigo. And your new number one, Jean Dillemont, 23 Quai du Commerce, 1088, Bruxelles. <laughs> yeah, it's got a very long title that I cannot pronounce because it's French. Sorry, 1080, I got that wrong. You know how to pronounce French things. You took that class. <laughs> I took two years of high school you French. Paid attention. <laughs> I won the spoken French contest in Georgia. For Did you really? Level one and level two. two oh, years see, running. now here we go. A, a story I haven't learned from about you in really? twenty-seven years. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, here's here's what it came down to. Yeah. Uh, you you would have to go into a room it was individually, and you would like talk to some French teacher for ten minutes. Right. And I think it's because I grew up speaking Spanish that I wasn't nervous or hesitant you weren't intimidated by so learning a new even language. if i made mistakes which i doubtless did i just kept rolling right through and i think that's that's how i you know mm. took got, home the prize we got five movies to talk about we do. today and they are uh, a mix of things very there are three of them that are new or pretty new mm-hmm. and two of them that i have finally caught up on and they came out earlier, earlier this in year. the year um, well, and one of one of those two uh, just premiered on Showtime, and the other one is coming back to theaters. So, really, we're on top of it. So, let's get into it with Top Gun Maverick, <laughs> Danger Zone. <laughs> I uh, missed it in theaters. Uh, I was uh, I knew that the uh, my ability it was it was back right before I got the diagnosis mm-hmm. of hip arthritis. And I was like, I can't, <laughs> just can't go to a theater. Like everything hurts and I can't walk and I'm, I am have no balance and, you know, um, sitting hurts for a long time. But uh, then I got cortisone shots and a beautiful menacing cane. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was able to get back out to very specific theaters. But by then, Top Gun Maverick, was already late in its run yeah. on abbreviated schedules and the wrong places and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I missed it until the Blu-ray came uh, to our doorstep. And I sat down uh, last week and I watched it. It's okay. I mean... <laughs> I am of, let me talk about what I know is great about it that I will probably never experience until some future day. The theatrical presentation of it? The theatrical presentation of this film, which is sort of, uh, I'm thinking, a necessity. Yeah. Um, Like, it's like Avatar. I'm watching these stunning aerial sequences Mm -hmm. and realizing as I'm watching them on this television, that they are stunning aerial sequences. And I'm imagining myself in a movie theater with it sort of like blowing my hair back like that old Maxell ad from the (laughs) 80s. And and thinking, 
Oh, everyone was right. See it on a screen. Yeah, and uh, I'm not seeing it on a screen right now, but I can see. Look, the hardware and the cash (laughs) is right there to be watched. Right. Um, really exciting. Aerial sequences. It is a cliche to talk about a movie being like, oh, a thrill ride or a roller coaster, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But Top Gun Maverick is literally a dark ride. Like a, well. Like it's like, it's, yeah. it, it is like, like the Chevy show used to be where you were sitting on a bench, but it was just giant curved screen and the very POV camera. And right. you felt like you were. Yeah flying or in a race car or whatever the thing was well the pov of the camera is very often like like that like that 2001 sequence where the everything's rushing at yeah 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 um and i you know that's fun that's really fun to to be in yeah um so you know uh, it's coming back to theaters this week, right? Yeah, yeah for, for a two couple, weeks. another couple weeks run, and maybe mm-hmm. even longer, because uh, it's the biggest movie of the year. I believe so. Biggest money making movie of the year, yeah. and they really want some Academy Award nominations for it. And I won't I be surprised they, if they get some. I know they want, at that. least on the tech level. Yeah. Um, so tell me this: on the tech level, it is really, really kind of amazing. Yeah. Tell me this, yes. because I have a lot of things to tell you. But what do you want to know? Well, my one of my big takeaways from this movie was that it was this Gen X fantasy. Yes, where you are the sixty-ish guy who strolls into the room with all the young bucks, the and, oldest, the oldest Gen X person, yeah, alive, and and <laughs> and you're always right, and you're always the best, and even your old tech is better than what the new kids are running around. Tom Cruise is 60 right now? I think so, yeah. He just turned 60, I think? I, I believe that. Yeah. So that would make him one of those cusp babies. Yeah, at uh, Boomer X's. Between, between 1960 and 1965, you are sort of like... He's the most geriatric X. What are you? Are you X or a Boomer? And who cares? No one cares. <laughs> and so, um, but continue. So, yeah, so it just so much of this movie felt to me like... He's the guy who knows things. Yeah. He's the guy who outflies everybody. He's the guy who, you know, like, again, the, 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 literally there's a moment where he has to fly an old outmoded jet. And like, you know, it, it's like, yeah. And the youngs in the movie are like, oh no, what is this? This it's jalopy. A, it's yeah. a can opener. I'm flying a can opener. Yeah. yeah. You know, so so it, it's the equivalent of like, yeah, put away put away your smartphone. This Motorola Razor is going to do the trick, you know. <laughs> So I just I found that sort of subtext of it really interesting in in that that is the audience they're appealing to is the people who were you know teenagers when the first Top Gun came out because that is tragically you know th- there's been a lot of conversation lately about how in the in the midterm elections that like the people our age overwhelmingly voted Republican. It was only thanks to the millennials and Gen Zers that we like, are the, the worst generation. The red wave didn't happen. The Gen and, Xs are the worst generation. And and people were like, what? Come on. This is a generation that gave us like Nirvana and blah, uh-huh. blah, blah. And it was yes. like, yes. And we'll all, talk about all, that, all the please. Generation X yeah. things that you're citing that were cool and revolutionary were reacting to yes. Top Gun and yes. all the awful Reagan stuff that our generation utterly fomented for the most part and it was only weirdos and, and like us ate up that, with a big spoon yeah honestly like i was i was there in the 80s and mm-hmm. everybody was wang chunging and <laughs> i think and it's wanging chung whatever <laughs> they were doing 
They were doing it in padded shoulders that yes. they got from Simple it's Minds. Stu Stu Studio. And I was not that. And what I have found interesting over time is the idea that the alternative culture of the 80s that eventually became sort of legendary. Yes, Smith's and R.E.M. Or was, was not popular. It yeah. did not have a large audience. It was a reaction. Yeah. And Mr. Mr. it was a reaction was to Thatcher. It was a reaction to Reagan. Yes. Regard, depending on what country it came from. Exactly. And it was uh, something that you and I talked about, what, 15 years ago. We were watching I Love the 80s on VH1. Remember that? Oh, yeah. And I'll, I, I remember some one of the talking heads was like, yeah, and we were all dancing to New Order. And I thought, <laughs> no, you weren't. <laughs> No, you were, you were, you were probably, but all your, and maybe your little group of friends was, but you cannot say that the, 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 the reactive culture that was made then dominated the, no, the, 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 the culture, the mainstream culture then it simply did not. And so the idea, as you said, that people our age would still be overwhelmingly conservative in uh, that, in that the the Nirvana isms of it all that came after, that that made people rethink what the world was for that generation, uh, it just doesn't it doesn't apply because yeah. a very thing a thing that that Gen X did very skillfully was they incorporated bands like Nirvana and bands like N.W.A into their worldview while remaining absolutely reactionary and conservative. <laughs> How? I don't know, but they managed to do it. I didn't understand them when, when they were Wang Chunging, and I don't understand them now. <laughs> it, it's the it's like punk but a car, you know, concept. Yes. That, that you can yes. you can have this cultural artifact that you enjoy and yet somehow completely divorce it from yeah. its actual meaning and manifestos. All right, let's keep talking about this movie. I have things to say. Please do. It is less sweaty than the first Top Gun, but is it is still sweaty. Yes. The first Top Gun is ludicrously sweaty. Oh, yeah. People are just sitting down in rooms and pouring sweat off their foreheads. They've just gotten out of the shower and they're still sweating. No, they're in class. (laughs) Yeah. In an air-conditioned room. (laughs) And they're all just like dripping with sweat. (laughs) Like, no wonder gay porn became what it became. (laughs) There's a lot of uh, uh, gay porn blueprinting going on yeah. in Top Gun. In the sure. first Top Gun. In the first Top Gun. Yeah. Uh, Tom Cruise re- retains his supernatural, almost alien appeal. Like, you look at him in a film and you admire the sort of like extra human qualities that he possesses. <laughs> uh, I don't think we have another actor like him in the culture, and I don't think we have had another actor like him in the culture who manages to be super appealing to people across generations and yet still seemingly made of, like, a non-stick surface. I don't... I will never understand him. 
and I will still kind of like him. And I don't think it has anything to do with the religion. No. Because there are lots of people in the world who adhere to any number of wacky cults, Scientology, evangelical Christianity, what have you. It doesn't matter. There is... He could be not a Scientologist and still be as weird as he is, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, Juliet Lewis is not bringing that level of... Right, right. Yeah. You, you Think about that. Yeah, right. Okay, so you get Juliet Lewis, you get Elizabeth Moss, and, and you think, well, they seem like normal human beings. <laughs> like, that you... You, you get them. You would probably be able to hang out with them and have a conversation. And I don't think you could do that with no, Tom Cruise. No. I think Tom Cruise would talk at you yes. and try to push like fun things on you, things he thinks are real cool. And, and he'd do that big laugh if he said anything it, remotely funny. Yeah. I, I don't <laughs> Yeah. I don't, I don't know who I here's the here's the conversation I want to listen to. Mimi Rogers, Nicole Kidman. And Katie Holmes oh. at lunch. Oh. That's the conversation I want to listen God. to. Because I don't. That's, that's a that's a three they, act play. The waiting three of them have secrets that none of us know, <laughs> and I want to know because there's a in my head he has a he has a, a lock and there's a key and we don't know what it is to this day and we may never. Yeah. And and if it means that he still is a movie star into his nineties, fine. I can live with the mystery. There's just something really weird about him. Yeah. And we haven't, as a culture, uh, ever figured it out. No. And nor will he let us. But on camera, you're right, it still works. Uh, I think Jennifer Connelly uh, is uh, uh, a, a, a glorious presence anywhere she is. Of course. Uh, so she plays the bartender. Uh, uh, she's the girlfriend who we've never heard of before. She, well, and, her name is mentioned oh, in really? the first. Like okay. when they talk about right. the admiral's daughter that he took to the blah, blah, oh, blah. that was her. That's her. Okay. But the name that is never mentioned in this movie is, is the character played by Kelly McGillis in the first movie. Like not, not a photo on the wall, not a, hey, I'm sorry it didn't work out with you guys. Not a, she died in a fiery crash. Right. Nothing. Like just never happened. Did my ears blink and miss a, dis a, a discussion of what happened to Meg Ryan? She died. Also, uh, I think. Okay. I think. I That's think, convenient. I, well, I think the whole plot thing about him not wanting um, uh, Miles Teller to become a pilot. Miles right. Teller, who's about ten years younger than he should be, if he's yeah, he should be about movie. forty. Yeah. Um. but I, I think it was his a, character should be about forty. Yeah, I think yeah. Maverick makes Meg Ryan a deathbed promise that he won't oh, let okay. the guy. Yeah. I, I'm, well, I must have missed that part. Yeah. Um, I was at various moments vacuuming the rug. <laughs> And that's okay. During if they were in, if they were on the ground, if their, mouths were, if their mouths were moving on, they were on the ground. I was like, eh, whatever they're saying, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the youngs uh, in the film are mm -hmm. a little personality free for the most part. Yeah, um, uh, I didn't care so much about uh, Miles Teller. No. Um, it felt like they shot it in sequence. Because at the beginning of the film, his mustache is a little thin. And then as it goes on, it gets fuller. <laughs> like it Because you know mustaches can take a really long time to come in. Well, maybe they did like a, their entirety. Maybe, maybe they did like a reverse Henry Cavill, you know, and like added more mustache to him in the later parts of the no, film. No, it felt like a real one on his face. But yeah. like it, it, it felt to me like they told him, start growing it like three months before the film, will you? Sometimes they can take a, quite a while to really 
fill up. Um, Because you shave every day and you don't understand that hair on your face grows at different rates. It all do, it doesn't all just come out like a chia. It 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 a Plato fun factory. Right. It it, it can take a while. Yeah. You know, a mustache when you're in the first week, unless you are like a gorilla, like you, it doesn't look like it's going to look when you finally got it uh, at, you know, Full, full tilt. Yes. So I thought, that I that I noticed <laughs> over the course of the film. I was like, oh, I think this was shot in sequence because this mustache watch. is getting better <laughs> as the film goes on. I thought Monica Barbaro and uh, yeah. Lewis Pullman were, had some fun chemistry. They did. And that Glenn Powell guy, I think, has some appeal. And I'm waiting for him. I, I need well, to see Devotion, which he's the star of. Because everything I've seen him is like blindingly good looking. Yeah, that's the thing. (laughs) He shows up for five seconds in like you know this or hidden figures. I'm like, could the camera? Could we see some more of you, please? You know, Um, he's he's like staring at the sun, and (laughs) and he didn't uh, stare at the sun at all because the bronzer on this young man is insane. You know, he was in uh, the Richard Linklater movie uh, uh, about the baseball team. Oh, oh, uh, everybody wants them? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. I had to go back and if I'm not mistaken, I mean, there were a lot of cream cheese kind of dudes in there that were. film. Uh, he uh, is indeed. You're yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and the Expendables. But the... Uh, or the Expendables Yeah, 3, the, bron- the bronzer on Glenn Powell's face is out of control. <laughs> I didn't notice. Um, well, see, there was, that's all I had to notice. <laughs> because the story itself is like, I'm going to have to show these kids how to do a thing. And... And we're going to fly a mission over a country we're never going to we're say never the, name of. the name of the country. We'll get to the, I'll get to that in a second. Um, so all I had to do was look at the stuff and the makeup and the hair and the, you right. know, whatever. Um, and, and just for a sense of perspective, I happen to have his IMDb page open. Glenn Powell was born two years after the first Top Gun came out. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that makes sense. Uh, it is, obviously, it's military propaganda, but you yes. know what? So is White Christmas. <laughs> You have a point. If you're the sort uh, to never... Like in the 80s, that really offended me. Mm-hmm. I remember being like, F Ronald Reagan and F this movie, and I'm not watching it. And then well, eventually I did see it at a dollar theater. You know that like the Navy recruitment would set up tables in the I lobby know. of theaters when I know. this was showing. I know. Um, but now I have a, a longer view of history and the military's presence in American cinema. Mm. And it is uh, too thick and too deep to uh, change. Yeah. So if you're the sort to never question the American military and the, you know, uh, uh, the, the things that they have done in the name of the United States, then this film has uh, no purpose other than to soothe you and take you on a fun plane ride. Uh, and recreate the end of Star Wars. And certainly, like, in terms of critique of... The, the military in the United States uh, the, in, and in the world we live in, uh, as far as this film goes, the call is coming from outside the house. Like, it is not... <laughs> this film has no interest oh, no. in anything other than, you know, rah-rah. Uh, yeah. And it is a similar uh, intellectual kind of rah-rah that you would get from something like a Transformers movie. There's this vague... True fictional enemy we must get them for america etc etc um and it's just the fact that we yearn going back to white christmas we yearn for a good war 
and there hasn't been one in 80 years. True. And when I say good war, it's what people refer to World War II as. Yes. They call World War II the good war because it had, it had a reason. Everybody seemed to agree on it. Everybody seemed to kind of agree that it had to, it, we had to go fight these people yeah. in Germany because they were going to try to take over the world. And, and since then, there hasn't been one. No. And so the, the, the premise of White Christmas itself is a, a yearning for that good war. Yeah, so, during the Cold War. And, 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 you know, it's weird that Tom Cruise would then go on to work with Oliver Stone and do Born on the Fourth of July, which is this very right. anti-war film. Yeah. But then, like, and now we're back. He's, well, he's, he's playing every side of every fence. I guess. He's in your backyard right now staring into your house. <laughs> and you're going to invite him in. He's going to hit the table and go, ha ha. <laughs> um, and, you know, uh, Gaga. Yeah. Yeah. So can we talk about Taco Bell? It made me real hungry for Taco Bell. <laughs> Taco Bell oh my God. appropriated the bung yeah. that happens all through the every, first movie. Every, every bung noise the, made the, me go The Harold Faltermeyer like, oh, bong. And they bring back the Harold Faltermeyer bong. And it's like, y'all, that's been out in the world now. You can't have the bong back. The bong belongs to Taco Bell. We're not so talking when, about a bong like a pipe. We're no, we're the, 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 the sound bong. The so, Taco Bell bong. So when you when we hear that now, we yeah. don't think, ooh, Maverick's back. We think, oh, there's a can I get the number six <laughs> the, with a yeah. with a with a diet slice? The Mexican pizza. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> but no, it's uh, I'm serious. The, the 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 raid they go on in this movie is the end of Star Wars. Yeah. It's this like tiny little square yep. that they have to like drop their missiles through or it's not going to work you know uh so at the end of summer uh the sequel to ty west's x uh hit theaters it's called pearl yes and you have been sitting on this for that long waiting for me to finally get a chance to see it mm. and i the blu-ray showed up yeah and i did <laughs> so um why don't you talk about what happens in pearl so this is a... It's a prequel. It's a prequel. And it's not X. just a prequel. It is uh, like 60 years in the past prequel. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you saw, you know, X in theaters, you saw the trailer for this at the very end. So this is set in the in the end of the teens. 1918. At yeah. the height of the influenza epidemic. Right. Yeah. So World War One is raging in Europe. Pearl's husband is there. Pearl played by Mia Goth as she was in X. And uh, she is on a farm with her father, who is syphilitic. Is that what we? That's what I thought it was. I was thinking he had, he'd had a stroke. Do the, they ever tell you what? It well, is? the mother makes some reference about like, do you want to wind up like him? That that, that was my impression. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe I get maybe I get that wrong. <sighs> anyway, her father is an invalid. Her mother is very strict and German. And yeah. does not countenance uh, uh, anything. Yeah, especially <laughs> no, nothing. Especially not Pearl's dreams of stardom. She loves to go to the pictures. She wants to be a dancer, um, and she will. And she is certifiably insane. That also. Uh, yeah. And she will stop at nothing to get what she wants, and um, including including feeding people to alligators. Uh, yes. Mia <laughs> uh, Goth's performance here is. One that I hope gets some award traction. Wouldn't it be interesting if... Is she up for a Spirit Award? What do I know? 
what horror, and this counts as a horror film. Yes. What horror films uh, since The Exorcist? Oh, yeah. She is nominated for a Spirit Award. Well, good. <laughs> uh, she's deserving. Yeah. Uh, uh, what horror films since The Exorcist have there been Academy Award nominations for um, Well, Top of your head? Uh, you know? uh, yes. Like, I got two. Uh, Sigourney Weaver in Aliens. Yeah, okay. And a win for Kathy Bates in Misery. Yeah. But those are very much the exceptions yeah. and not the rule. And this is a super competitive year for actress. So I don't know that the Oscars are going to pay attention, but I love that she's got a Spirit Award nomination because it is a full tilt boogie performance that totally works. She is unhinged yeah. uh, through this entire film in, in ways that are shocking <laughs> and... Uh, also make you feel genuine sympathy and, yeah. and and concern for her. You want her to be okay, but you realize that you have entered her story well past the point of whether of her being uh, saved. of her ever being saved from <laughs> where she's going. Um, the you don't know this at first. Yeah, you feel like you know you could be on her side as you know a person who yearns to get away. Yeah. Um, I mean, at the beginning, it's almost like a, one of those Judy Garland movies where, you know, yes. she's on the farm, but she wants, to, she wants to be on Broadway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then you realize this person is, in, is actively losing her mind yeah. and is going to simply uh, kill anyone who disagrees with anything she says or wants to do. It's not even, it's not even a typical sort of like murderer movie where... You know, you think, well, this person did something bad, you know, and now they're going to be punished for it. Like, that's the typical right. uh, way. Um, no, this is, <laughs> this is, this is, this is showgirls. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of, I will let nothing yes. stand in my way. Unfortunately, unlike showgirls, you have a person who isn't talented at anything. Right. Like Nomi could dance. Yes. Uh, Pearl can jump around on a stage mm -hmm. and grin uh, maniacally. Mm -hmm. And that's it. Say what you Well, say. I think there's a lot more to Pearl than her performance, which is is an astounding one. But like, yeah. I, I love that uh, when this came out, there were a lot of critics that said like, if Douglas Sirk had made a horror movie. Yeah. Because this, Fully. there is such a yeah. rich sort of old Technicolor yep. kind of just look to this film and the the kind of the, 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 the pans, the, 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 the way the, 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 Wipes, that's the word I want. <laughs> Thank you. The transitions between scenes. I was like, what word are we looking for right now? <laughs> you know, are extraordinary. But again, it does really come down to, again, to Mia Goth. I mean, she has these two long takes that are incredible. One is a monologue and one is not a monologue. One is not a monologue. Uh, and they're both just riveting. I think it's a better film than X. I do too. Um, but, you know, here's the thing. Ever since I saw my first Ty West movie, House of the Devil, I've really been uh, a fan of what he does with genre film. Because mm -hmm. uh, as any of them could be considered straightforward horror films, slasher films, they're always doing something more yeah. than what is on the surface. The, the formal uh, conventions that you were just alluded to, the, the color palette, 
and the framing of, of you know, this person in her space. Um, the irises. You, yes. You, you learn that the film is about, obviously it's about the killings, but it's about the way that people behave in the world. Yeah. So House of the Devil was like that. Um, the one where there's an... Speak, speaking of speaking of uh, <laughs> Kelly McGillis, um, uh, the innkeepers was that what it was called? Yeah. Um, the uh, you you you're watching his films and there's always just something off about why people are doing what they're doing and how he's uh, using his camera to follow them. So you know, I'd say X honestly was mostly for me about discomfort not just with sex but with aging and with women who want sex mm -hmm. and with older women who want sex it wasn't as i think you read early your early read of it you you thought it was sort of like doing doing a thing like ew old people want to are hor old people are horny i think the film is about that and and i'd say that this movie confirms that. Well, I, yeah, I feel like I definitely have a richer perspective on Pearl now that I've seen this backstory. Or on X now that I've seen yeah. Pearl, yeah. Um, the, uh, uh, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> it is also still, I think, a, a critique of the entertainment business, very yes. much like X, whether in its infancy, like it is in this film, right. or uh, in the 1970s world of you know, emerging mainstream, right. mainstream pornography, and then we're getting the third one, which is going to be set in the uh, in the valley in the eighties, uh, in the pornographic industry. Yeah, so. because in X she plays old Pearl and young Maxine. Maxine, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing that I like about Ty West is that he, you know, I think there are a lot of horror filmmakers that feel like they have to grab you early on and then just like periodically send another shock your way to sort of keep yeah. you engaged. Ty West makes you wait for it. <laughs> Ty West is more interested in sort of setting up the characters, setting up the world, giving you a perspective of what's going on here. And then he starts laying on the mayhem. And I love that confidence because it works. And he, he pulls that off because he creates such interesting characters and such interesting worlds that you're not just going, okay, yeah, wait, when, when do we get to the heads being chopped off? You know? Okay. I did not say, I did not see, she said. Yeah. Uh, I probably will eventually. And I'll explain why after you talk about it. Okay. Okay. So this is directed by uh, Maria Schrader, who did uh, I'm Your Man, which I quite liked. Uh, the movie that came out last year? Rachel Brosnahan. No. No, which no, that's I'm your woman. Oh, <laughs> I'm your man is the one with All Dan right. Stevens as the love robot. Oh, right, 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 right. Yes. Okay. Uh anyway, and so um the flair that she brought to that movie is not really in evidence here. This is a very straightforward kind of newspaper procedural. It is about the true story of uh, New York Times reporters Megan Toohey and Joey, Jody Cantor yeah. sort of, you know, uh, busting, you know, breaking the story of Harvey Weinstein and his, you know, uh, allegations of sexual assault on actresses and female producers and women that worked at Miramax and, you know. Um, and the the thing here is, you know, we, we open with, with Megan Toohey, played by Carrie Mulligan, it, talking to women who had been uh, sexually assaulted by Donald Trump yeah. in the wake of the Access Hollywood tape. Right. And then, of course, you know, he gets elected anyway. And 
the and the movie is smart about sort of connecting those dots because I remember when like the Weinstein story was breaking and a lot of these other stories were, were the Me Too stories were entering the media. It felt like this idea of like if that guy can get elected president, we gotta just they've all gotta go down now. We right. have to we have to like say all the names and like you know get this out there. Right. So you know in in, in the wake of that and, and and like the New York Times had just done the Bill O'Reilly scoop where they you know they talked about all the the payouts he was getting from Fox News for all the women that he had had uh, you know harassed. Yeah. Um, so uh, Tui and Cantor, played by Zoe Kazan, are you know on the case of this story, and the challenge is like trying to get people to talk, trying to get people to talk, and you know talking you know. Chasing down different women, they get some doors slammed in their faces. Some of them will talk briefly, but they don't want to go on the record. And, you know, it's getting the story together. Yeah. And uh, along the way, we get some great scenes with actresses like Samantha Morton and Jennifer Ely playing women who had worked under Harvey and who had seen things and, you know, or had suffered things. And, right. uh, you know, and, and and you know, either trying to trying to, you know, fix it through the system like they do in, in The Assistant or, you know, basically signing NDAs being paid off, like not ever talking about it ever. Um, this is, I mean, the real story is a fascinating one. And I think a documentary on this subject would have been more interesting because this movie kind of feels like vegetables. You know, it, it, it's very perfunctory in the way for the most part that they, that they, track down this story and talk about it. And they don't build up the tension of a movie like, you know, All the President's Men. And, you know, obviously it's it's not the same thing in terms of like maybe these people fearing for their lives, although you hear stories about, right. you know, Harvey and his bodyguards or whatever. But I think they could have done a better job at sort of like illustrating why there was this cabal of silence around him. You know, part of it being you know, just men in the film industry having each other's backs. But right. part of it being, like, the name Hillary Clinton is never mentioned in this movie. Right. And she and Harvey were tight. He did a lot of fundraisers for her. Mm -hmm. They were photographed together a lot. He had a lot of connections in upper echelons yeah. who could make life miserable for any potential whistleblowers or media companies who wanted to expose him. Okay. And those dots don't really get connected in this movie. It, right. it becomes more about like, you know, women who signed NDAs and the whole legal aspect of that and how, you know, whether or not that, that holds up. You know, uh, Ashley Judd turns up as herself because she is the the first person to actually go on record in the Cantor Tui stories. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just, th there were moments that I liked. Like I said, the, those Morton and Ely scenes were great. And they really give you a feeling of what these women went through and, and not just the event itself, but the sort of reverberations that it had in their lives, you know, and it's, it is a powerful story, but the movie doesn't hit that powerful story nearly often enough. Mm. And so you're just kind of left with a lot of people on the phone, staring at computer monitors mm. and like having meetings and conference rooms. And this just happened five years ago. So we know, like if you've paid any attention to the news, you know, what's what happened um and so i i wonder how they thought they were gonna sell this 
as a story that people would want to go buy a ticket to see. In yeah, the, I mean, in like the theater like, again, you know, all, the all the presidents men. That was a very recent thing, but it yeah. was Watergate. It was yeah. a, you know, it was a huge thing, and people were interested in the minutia of how they peeled back the layers to get that story. When I saw, when I first saw the trailer for this, I thought, oh, oh, that's going to be a movie, and my next thought was. But I know this. Like, what's it going to tell me that I don't know? There's not going to be some big reveal. I mean, there, there is. And, you get some insight into the two reporters' lives because, okay. like, one of them is already a mother as the movie begins, and the other one has a baby and deals with right. postpartum depression and stuff, which adds a level of yeah. you know just all the stuff, all the plates that they're trying to spin at the same time and everything. Uh, and thankfully, there's never a scene where, like, you know. The Bow Bridges scene in Norma Ray, where the husband is like, you know, complaining that they don't—they're not home to like, you know, change diapers, and why are they spending so much time at that newspaper? The kids, that they don't do. Thankfully, the kids had the kids in their dirty jeans. Dirty jeans, exactly. <laughs> um, um, also, uh, just on a personal, uh, just sort of gut level, I just watched Holy Spider mm. two weeks ago. I need a break <laughs> from. Stories about women being like put through the grinder, like, and I, if you heard me talk about the Iranian film Holy Spider, a very well-made film, it was, it's, it's too much. Yeah. That film is too much. And so when I got finished watching Holy Spider, I thought, oh, now I have to watch She Said, and I thought, later, later, I'll 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 get get to it, I'll get to it. You need a break. I need a break. Okay. Holy Spider will make it make you need a break. Your your next Me Too movie will be Tar. Well, yeah, and, and that's on streaming, and so I'll uh, I'll be able to watch that on yeah on the couch exactly, uh, and find out who I agree with because now I've been hearing from all these different critics <laughs> who are like it's great, and there and other ones who are like it's dumb, and so I I, I need to know. I. I have a I have a, a hunch that maybe it's camp, but I'm going to watch it again with you before I okay. commit to that one. Uh, spirited, yes. Talk about it. Uh, it is a very very expensive, and you can tell uh, Apple Plus Apple TV Plus musical, starring uh, Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell, who you might not think of as people you would star in a musical, but they pretty much acquit themselves, as does Octavia Spencer. It is a play on A Christmas Carol. It is set in the sort of heavenly bureaucracy that once a year at Christmas time sends three ghosts down to uh, reform the life of, of of a terrible human being. Will Ferrell plays the ghost of Christmas present. He's been doing this for a while. He's been eligible for retirement for 46 years, but he keeps going back. And this year, uh, the person that he thinks they need to to choose as their haunting victim is a a sleazy sort of like media analyst manipulator played by Ryan Reynolds. And over the course of, you know, trying to, you know, show him his the the error of his ways, uh, Reynolds manages to turn the table on the Ghost of Christmas Present and get him to uh, examine why it is that He's still doing this, what he hopes to accomplish, why he's afraid to come back to Earth. And um, yeah, it's a big swing and it mostly works. It is a big musical that mostly works. The choreography is exceptional. The songs are by Pasek and Paul, who are the Dear Evan Hansen and Greatest Showman guys. So that I know is a rough 
tough row to hoe for some folks. I've seen this movie twice now, and I like the songs better the second time. They're growing on me. Uh, I do not mind the songs. Uh, you know, I, uh, as you know, I truly hate The Greatest Showman. Yeah. Uh, Did you see Dear Evan Hansen? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it, it is uh, unfortunate. Yes. Um, and I don't think the songs were necessarily the problem with Dear Evan Hansen. Uh, these guys have written songs that are, uh, you know, very effective musical, you know, uh, film Mus- musical songs. Musical comedy, yeah. yeah. It's just sometimes they write songs that I hate. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and because it's so hit and miss, uh, I, I don't know, you know, what I'm going to get going in. Uh, but I like this movie. Oh, good. Yeah, I... I when I heard it was a a, a a new Christmas Carol musical, I thought, yeah, I already got one of those. <laughs> um, 1970s Scrooge. Mm-hmm. That's my go-to. Yeah, for a Christmas Carol. And oh man, our neighbor, she's got the house thump, music. Thump, 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 thump. It's vibrating the floor right now. I just started hearing it. <laughs> um. Anyway, sorry about that. I um. Was also a little uh, anxious about uh, my my Ryan Reynolds tolerance. He's been pushing it lately. <laughs> I am I I am I'm reaching a point where, in general, I need a bit of a break from him, or a break from that guy that he keeps playing. Well, that guy that he keeps playing is that guy that he plays a lot and yeah, has but he, built a career around. Right, but he used to not always like Barry. Remember, you know, I like, understand. Yeah, it hasn't always been that way. No, yeah, but of late, you know, yeah, between Safe House, it's a, yeah, where thank no you one for is calling safe. safe House. Um, <laughs> between yeah, between between Deadpool and Red Notice and half a free guy it's like okay yes right. we get it ryan reynolds i uh so i was concerned mm. uh, about that um but what they do with the christmas carol story is something that i have not seen a christmas carol adaptation do just yet and they do it don't give away i will not the thing okay i will not give away the thing but one of the things that I can talk about uh, is that at one point in the in the film, Ryan Reynolds, who is the Scrooge character, you know, he's the bad guy. When they ask him if he can change, he says, "Yeah, no, <laughs> no, I can't. I'll like, feel good for a day or two, and then I'll just rationalize. I'll it. do this one. I'll I will fix this one hideous problem that I have set in motion." Right. Yeah. And and I will and and I'll I'll make sure that the terrible consequences of that don't happen, uh, because that is what precipitates this visiting. Right. He sets in motion a really horrible thing. Like a really horrible. <laughs> yeah. Thing. Like you are you're watching the the fake you know ghostly dreamlike consequences yeah, the, the yet to come. And you're like oh my god oh. <laughs> like, this is a mess. Uh, but when they when he when he when he fixes the thing, you he says, "Yeah, I'm not changing forever. No one can do that." And they even go back and reference the original Ebenezer Scrooge story mm-hmm. and let you know some things about it that you didn't know. <laughs> uh, 
at least, you know, it's not canon because it's not sure. part of the book story, but um, they they let you know that, that, you know, permanent change, no matter how bad you have been, uh, and no matter how, you know, supernatural the experience that you go through to transform yourself, you're going to have a bad day. You're going to have a slip up. You're, there's going to be a day where you treat someone badly. Unless you are Dolly Parton, who we find out is one of their previous mm, haunts. Well, you know, maybe. But <laughs> she never. So I do like that approach. I like the idea that that there is no such thing as a quick fix to human uh, uh, frailty, frailty, let's yeah. call it. Um, everybody is good and bad in some ways, at, on some days, yeah. to some people. And the only way through it in your life, in your actual real life, is when you learn that you have done something wrong and made someone's life worse, you have to try to fix it. You have to apologize. You have to, if you can, if they will let you, you have to try to make some kind of amends. You have to work each day to not be garbage. Because everybody is a little bit garbage sometimes. <laughs> so you you get the idea of a Christmas carol in your head and you think, ah, well, he was visited by three ghosts in one night and then he was good for the rest of his life. Um, and this film says, nah. <laughs> no, you, you've got something harder to do than that yeah. after the supernatural night. Uh, the songs are not bad uh, for the most part. Uh, the... As you said, the the money is on the screen. This is a lavish musical. There are lots of dancers and lots of singers and lots of choreography and lots of sets. And they move at a quick pace. It's a two-hour film, and they pack it. Yeah. Uh, it is frequently quite funny. And uh, it is directed <laughs> by Sean Anders who is responsible for some very bad films. Yes, the and, Daddy's Home movies. And who is also responsible for the Adam Sandler 2012 movie, That's My Boy. Ugh. And what I think it means... I think Three Ghosts came to him after he directed what that I movie. Think it means, <laughs> what I think it means... Change your ways. Is that he has an understanding of how people can be garbage. <laughs> and, and that because he he co-wrote this script yeah yeah and so i like that he's got his finger on the pulse of badness <laughs> they give ryan reynolds a, a musical number to sort of let you know what kind of awful person he is yeah where he basically he he is telling an association of christmas tree growers that the the only way for them to get back on top is to basically start a culture war against people with fake trees yeah and he has this number called we're bringing back christmas which is just just so it it is such a great villain song right and it is extremely trumpish yeah all of it um not not the whole movie but that 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 song mm. his presence uh is there uh, Will Ferrell can sing. I did not know this. Uh, I'm sure that there's some auto tune going on, but you know, yeah, he was doing it. Yeah, Octavia Spencer has a has a, a song that is actually quite moving, um, mm -hmm. and you're rooting uh, for her. Yes, uh, she embodies. 
She's the Bob Cratchit. She embodies, she is the Bob Cratchit, but she embodies the idea of, can you, can you sacrifice something to be good? Will you sacrifice something to be good? Right. Will you not go down this hideous path? Can you afford principles? Yeah. Uh, So that was a nice sort of nuanced element of the film too. It's so much better than I imagined it would be. Uh, I like it. Yeah. And seriously, the dancing is next level yeah. and different from number to number. Like, yeah. this one has pogo sticks in it. This one right. is a bunch of people doing cool stuff with flashlights. You yeah. know? It's just it's amazing. Uh, and then finally, we have seen uh, After Sun. Yes. And it is the debut feature from Charlotte Wells. Yes. She wrote this and she directed it. She just got the, uh, she won a breakthrough award at the Gothams this year. Good. I want her to get everything. Uh, it stars Paul Mescal. He is a, uh, he's an Irish actor who has not been in a lot of stuff. He was in The uh, the Lost Daughter. Yes. And uh, that show, Normal People. And he was in an earlier film this uh, year called God's Creatures. Yes. With Emily Watson. That we talked about and no one saw. Right. So here he is uh, co-stars with a young uh, young girl named Frankie Corio. I think yeah. it's her first film. It is. They play a father and daughter on a vacation, on a holiday together. Yeah. They are in... Where are they? Turkey, I think. They're in Turkey. That's right. They're in Turkey. At a resort that is a, that is for British people, they're like at an all-inclusive yeah. uh, resort for British people, and and nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> but everything happens. But everything happens. Um, he's a divorced father. Or, we, well, I we don't know if they was ever married, yeah. actually, to the mom. He, he doesn't um, live with them. He doesn't even live in Scotland. They live in Scotland. He lives in London. His life, he's 30. Mm-hmm. He has an 11-year-old daughter, so he uh, was a father at 19. Uh, the relationship with the mother did not work out, but they are friendly. They are good with each other. Yeah. And we learn this through a phone call yeah. um, where he finishes the call with, I love you. And the daughter... Uh, picks up on that. And she says, why do you tell uh, mom that you love her and you're not together? And he says, well, it's you love brothers. We're family. You love you love brothers and sisters. You love your aunts aunties. and uncles. You love your grandparents. You love your family. She's our family. And I love her. You can see the look on the girl's face like, I don't get it. <laughs> Like I, I, all I know of people in love is this, this is romance, right? You know, from what I've seen on TV, um, the uh, there are the film is entirely small moments like that. They're lounging by a pool, they're swimming, they are uh, hanging out, they're eating food, they are interacting with other people at the resort, and there is no, you know, plot. this happens and this happens kind of plot. There is not even any, uh, you know, great uh, revelatory climax, although there is a moment where she says something to him that is insulting to him because she has finally put two and two together about an aspect of his life. Right. And, 
and he's stunned that the formerly trusting child is now beginning to see him as, as a human ju- being, as just an adult, just yeah. some guy. Um, and you worry, I, at least I did while watching it, that something bad, very bad was going to happen, that he would react in a very bad way um, and harm himself. Yeah, there's a moment where you think something's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but that's not how life really usually goes. Life is just a series of small moments where people say things to each other and do things in each other's company and it affects their relationship right over time. Um, what goes on in the throughout the film are a series of what you learn to be uh, what you learn are flashbacks. It's a stroby rave. Yeah. And and he is dancing off to one side and there's an adult woman. And when I say adult woman, I mean someone who is about 20. Yeah. Um, and, or who appears to be about 20, a woman. And honestly, because it is so ambiguous and so, uh, uh, no, there's no explanation. You begin the film thinking this is his flashback. This is him at a rave in 1989 because the film is set in a, at around like 1990. No, like 1998. I'm sorry. Uh, I, that's what I meant to say. Yeah. 1998, 1999. Yeah. It's roughly the end of the 90s. Is it's, the, it's after Chumbawamba and the Macarena. It's, it, yeah, and Blur and all these <laughs> other songs that are on the soundtrack. Um, so... It is, it is a story taking place in the late 90s, but the flashback definitely looks like the late 80s, early 90s because of the clothes and the, mm-hmm. the idea of a young British person at a at experiencing house music in a car park somewhere. <laughs> um, so you think, at least I did, watching it, I thought, oh, that's where he met the mother. Mm-hmm. And then as the film goes on, that flashback takes on more dimensions and you realize that it very well could be his flashback. It very well could be his dream, but it is also someone else's. Yeah. And, and it is reflective. It, it alludes to the themes of the film of trying to reach someone in this case in the dark um there are some flash forward sequences as well to uh, the daughter as an adult yeah. and how she's interacting with the world and and the the father has a birthday in the in the the, the older part of the film that figures into it as well yeah and, and you know yeah. and Christy and I were talking about this like you know is the idea that that the the adult character hits that same birthday yeah and hence kicks off all of this memory in the first place yeah it's there's a lot to unpack and and it, it is a great movie to see with other people and talk about it afterwards go for coffee or whatever yeah because the because the movie isn't spelling it all out for you you will come away with different ideas of what does and doesn't happen what is remembered what is misremembered like you know they have 
uh, a, a, a very 90s little kind of digital video camera. Yeah. And so you sort of see like the stuff that they capture, the stuff they don't capture, even like how the stuff that they capture is remembered differently, even though it's, you know, captured. You yeah. Know? And by the way, this is a 90 minute film and it took me 20 minutes to, to realize, oh, it's the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, the, that's how subtle <laughs> everything yeah. is. Well, because they're on vacation. So it's yeah. like the, everybody's just wearing bathing suits and stuff. And yeah. you finally go, oh, wait, no one has a phone. No one has a cell phone. No one has a, yeah. <laughs> and, and why are they listening to, you know, I get knocked down? Right. Know? So uh, Charlotte Wells, like we said, first time filmmaker. Uh, first time, first feature anyway. Yeah. I don't know if she's made like shorts before this or not, but uh, she has a cinematographer, Gregory O'K, who uh, it's also his first feature. Yeah, he's amazing. And I want these two to work together forever because <laughs> they managed to frame familial intimacy in ways that remind me Pardon me for mentioning Claire Denis again, okay. but 35 Shots of Rum, which is a film uh, from Claire Denis from a few years ago about a family that is very close, and particularly a father and daughter who are very close and who have to learn new ways of relating to each other. And now, 35 Shots of Rum is a story about an adult father and an adult daughter. Um, but what you're getting out of After Son is the seeds of what will become an adult father and daughter relationship. Whether or not it becomes an estranged one is sort of up to interpretation. Uh, but thematically, it's about the way history can repeat. It's about, the that, like I said, that desire to connect. Uh, we aren't meant to take a side in this this in this relationship um everyone's perspective is is addressed in very beautiful delicate but not you know not gauzy right <laughs> but uh but very finely tuned moments um uh, like we said earlier with uh, Jean Dielman Put down your phone. Well, I, I was going to say <laughs> when you watch. I this. mean, this at the moment, I think it's only in theaters. Uh, it is only in theaters at the moment, but it's a small film, not getting a huge wide release, and most people are going to wind up watching true. it at home. I was going to bring it back to Jean Dielman in the in the sense that it's one of those movies where, as you said, not a lot is happening per se in terms of like plot or story, right? Which for me always makes me kind of like sort of mentally lean in more like, okay, I'm not following a story here. So something else is very important. And you have to start paying attention to just the minutia of what people do and don't say to each other. And how, and, how, you know. how people are in the frame of the camera. There's so much framing of Paul Mescal uh, indirectly. Yes. He's seen through... Uh, in reflection. Uh, in reflection, he's seen with his back turned, partial. His face is partially in the frame. His face is turning away. He's got, he's behind like some window painty kind of stuff. Like this happens over and over and over again. And it is a distancing device that is I ought, meant to evoke this, these little fractures that are taking place between 
a daughter who was about to enter adolescence and the man that she used to think was infallible. Right. It is, I haven't said this yet, it is so beautiful. I love this movie so much. I'm going to watch this movie again. It is one of my favorite films of the year. The title is one word, After, after Sun. Sun. Uh, y'all. It's, yeah. It, it's it, stunning. I've, I've been thinking about it so much in the days since we've seen it. It's yeah. really, really gorgeous. And that's it. Uh, we, we have a Patreon. Some, we got some letters. We got a Patreon. Uh, Patreon.com slash linoleum knife. Go there and you will find uh, a world of magical delights. <laughs> a variety of other podcasts that we do uh, for a select audience. Yes. We're your private dancers. <laughs> in, 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 we're your private podcasters. Podcasts for money. Um, and there... Go to the go to the go to the Patreon. You'll see all the names of them. You'll see what they are. You'll see what we do, uh, and uh, you can start at a buck, yeah. a dollar a month, and you you get stuff even at a dollar a month. Uh, the content. Yes. I hate to use that word, but that's what we call it now. So, bleh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but work your way up the ladder because there's other fun stuff too. Yeah, uh, and we have some letters. We do. And let me scroll down because since you sent them to me. So many more emails have popped into my box. Here we go. Our Cyber Monday deals are still happening. Yeah, I know. I can't believe it's December already. Uh, Jesse says, I took the Dave White challenge, and I put my phone in another room, and I watched Causeway tonight. You know what? After Sun and Causeway are like hand-in-hand kind of films about people engaging with each other in very small true intimate quiet ways often in swimming pools often in swimming pools yeah uh i knew from the review i would love it many of the words the two of you said shared similarities with another quiet gently paced uh film that you recommended a year or more ago andrew on's driveways Mm. perhaps this is more of a question for uh ask us anything uh which we do on uh linoleum nights linoleum nights uh which is one of the podcasts from Patreon. Uh, character-driven movies like these that you feel like audiences have slept on in the past five years, what are they? What are they? And say that a person has never seen a John Cassavetes film, where would be a good place to start? Hmm. I mean, I heard of if beginners Cassavetes. Wow, maybe... Husbands, I like husbands. Husbands is good, yeah. Because like, I mean, I think you gotta kind of work your way up. Woman of the influence. Woman of the influence. (laughs) You maybe have to work your way up to that one. You definitely, I think, have to work your way up to like opening night and love streams. Okay. Um, I haven't seen faces. Oh, you know what? Minnie and Moskowitz. Minnie and Moskowitz. That's a good beginner's Cassavetes. Uh, small character-driven movies of the past five years. Oh man. Well, driveways. Yeah, for sure. Um, come back to you on that the bl- one. I've just drawn an absolute I know, blank. I can't remember a single movie I saw ever, but let me go back the to The answer like- to this question is listen to every episode of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or look at my top ten list and my runners-ups on the rack. Right, you know, right. that'll, that, that, yeah. that'll give you some clues. Um, you know, Beautrevi. <laughs> That's not from the past five years, but... <laughs> uh, well, from this year, Hit the Road. Perfect. Thank you. Hit the road. Yeah. That's one of my favorite movies of the year. Ditto. 
Okay, uh, Timothy. About eight years ago, Alonzo recommended the Criterion Collection's Blu-ray box of Jacques Tati films. Hmm. And Paul Schrader is still angry with me about it. <laughs> Paul Schrader can relax. Kick rocks, Paul Schrader. Nah, look, we I love mean, playtime. Yeah. He hates Paul. He, Schrader hates Tati. <laughs> well, look, Schrader likes transcendental cinema, and the, the, that ain't it no, with Tati. Uh, the email continues. I picked it up around that time, and I watched Playtime shortly thereafter. It being perhaps Tati's most lauded film and the only one to make it into the 2012 Sight and Sound poll. And the 2022, I believe. It did. It's in the 2022 But I mean, I think it might well. be the only one. Yeah. Playtime is great, but I just now caught up with Monsieur Hulot's Holiday, finally, and I fell in love with it. So I wanted to very much belatedly thank you for yeah. recommending this set and turning me on to this wonderful filmmaker. You're welcome. Yeah, that's a, that's a great one, too. I, you know, I don't know if you remember this. On September 11th, after a day of watching depressing news stuff, we thought, all right, we need something funny and distracting to, like, you know, get our minds off this before we go to bed. And I popped in Monsieur Hulot's Holiday. I know. And it didn't really work. And that's not no. Monsieur Hulot's Holiday's fault. No. And I haven't watched it again since. And right. I need to watch it again just to purge that particular memory from my head. Yeah. Uh, shoddy. Hello, Shoddy. Hello. I tried watching Anthony Hopkins in The Father a couple of times and is forced to turn it off because it felt too much like torture porn. It kept running this endless warped loop inside the mind of a dementia patient. And since Alzheimer's only progresses one way, I didn't think the movie would have an actual plot or catharsis, just a whole lot of Oscar clip acting. Now there's a sequel out of sorts and the reviews are a lot less glowing. Was I right the first time? Is there any merit to either movie? Uh... Well, or, have, is, or is this writer-director just another shock jock begging to be taken seriously? We have not seen The Sun. but no, I, I haven't seen The Sun I've yet. also been hearing kind of mixed uh, responses. I'm but gonna, The on. Father's great. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a tough recommend in that it, will, the, it puts you through the ringer. The Father is a harrowing film. Yeah. And if you're not up for a harrowing film, I understand. Because the world is pretty harrowing right now. Yeah. I just watched Holy Spider. <laughs> yes, Dave, yes. But I um, don't think it's exploitative, though. I, I mean, no, I, yes, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think the torture porn, yes. mis, I think it's a misnomer. Because this is, I think, for me, it felt like this, you know, this movie is putting me in this guy's head. And that's a tricky thing to do because I think most of us, as we observe dementia from the outside, it just seems like this sort of, completely erratic terrifying thing and it is terrifying but it, it, it gives a it grounds the why it's terrifying like yeah. why the things that you think you have in your grasp are suddenly not there anymore and as as difficult a sit as it was and as upsetting a, as a film it is it is very upsetting it is it is intended to be that and i think it is artfully that yeah i i i i will say it is very upsetting and i don't think it veers into exploitation at least for me it didn't feel like it did Unlike Holy Spider. <laughs> I mean, obviously, which I just saw. if you have someone in your life, you know, who is who is suffering from that, then yeah, maybe this is not the movie that you want to watch right it. now. On the other hand, it might sort of, you know, add a level of empathy for what that person is going through that, right. that there's no other way to sort of relate to you in a, in a rational sense. Here's what this is like. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Steve. Subject, subject line, 
Go woke, go broke. <laughs> uh, here's the letter. Strange World. This is the which, Disney movie that just tanked because uh, they barely marketed it. And which neither of us have uh, seen yet. Right. Uh, he says, interracial couple, multiracial characters, gay teenager, strong female leads, uh, bombs at the box office with $18 million on the opening weekend. Go woke, go broke. That's in quotes. Yes. He's not saying go woke. No, that's what like right-wing pundits are saying. talking about what the the trolls of the world are saying. Yes. Uh, Wakanda forever. No white male leads or heroes. Virtually entirely people of color. Story centered on multiple female protagonists. At least one prominent lesbian couple on its way to making $1 billion worldwide because go woke, go broke. (laughs) Exactly. Touche. Well said, sir. Thank you, Dr. Steve. And that's the end of this podcast. Is it? We are going to go eat, go, go uh, sweet. <laughs> that's going to be sweeping the nation. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. I well, just made that up. Yeah, I, I, I figured you had. I'm I, quick I, on my feet I with, was, with clever oh, uh, bon mo sen- sentences. I was hoping you hadn't <laughs> agonized over that one for hours. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Please check out my other podcasts, uh, Maximum Film, Breakfast All Day, Deck the Hallmark. Um, now is a good time of year to pick up my books about Christmas movies. Uh, have yourself a movie, Little Christmas, and the book that I co-wrote with the Deck the Hallmark podcast, I'll Be Home for Christmas Movies. They're both available wherever books are uh, boughten. And uh, if you get the chance, if you missed it on CNN, hopefully they'll be repeating it. But if not, if you have cable and you're on demand section, uh, check out a special called Tis the Season. It's a two hour special about Christmas movies. And um, I'm in it some. You are. You're in it a lot. Which actually. Is nice. And we have one more letter that I. That got, oh, I, I wondered about it that. It sunk down into. It didn't. It, they usually all. Under come all in that a, Cyber Monday? They usually come in under, in a block. I like see. I can just go pop, 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 pop. And this one was like 10. 10 emails down, because that's how fast my inbox fills up. Yeah. Uh, this is from Alfonso. Mm-hmm. Did you hear me call you Alfonso I yesterday did. on Deck the Hallmark? Yeah, it's very funny. Pretty clever of me, wasn't it? Hilarious. I knew you'd like it. Hey, David Alonzo, I just heard you mention on regular linoleum knife that restoration hardware is now being called RH, and that they have a restaurant. <laughs> I've been to three locations. Wow. In the Knox Henderson neighborhood in Dallas and Willow Bend in Plano in the Chicago suburb of Oak Brook. The stores themselves consist of black-walled and ceiling showrooms adorned with huge paintings in carved gilded frames and showcase uninspired combinations of bland monochromatic furniture. (laughs) If I had any interest, I might spend a little more time to assess the rest of their collections, but I just don't care. The rooftop restaurants, on the other hand, are pretty. (laughs) Pairing the late 19th century Parisian train station aesthetic of cast iron and glass with abundant greenery and white linen tables scattered about. The food is very good, though grotesquely overpriced. (laughs) Somehow I managed to be a guest at each of these, so I don't feel guilty. They are not somewhere I would dine on my own dime. If anyone else has had some experience with RH, I'd like to know what they thought. I'm aware of my significant limitations in both food and architectural criticism. Thank you, as always, for your wonderful podcasts. Alfonso from Cochabamba. Thank you, Alfonso. We, Dave and I used to live near the Knox Henderson uh, RH. Like... Walking distance. Yeah, we were, we were six blocks south of that Something place. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. like, like 
not was it Knox or Henderson that was our cross street that we lived on? Uh, I think it might have been. I forget because it's one. Henderson. I think it's Henderson. Yeah, and it's Knox on the other side of Central. Yeah. Yeah. That neighborhood has gone real fancy. Too. Oh, super bougie! Yeah, we lived there in the '90s when it was you still know, a little scrappy, a little, little, little dumpy. Now they're trying to pass it off as a park city. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, now, so now we're done. Yeah, so check out the podcast. Check out "Tis the Season." Uh, am I forgetting something? I don't know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> send us one million dollars. There, there is that always. If, like if you have it. Uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back next time with more. Until then, goodbye.